Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. It's good to be back with you again in the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, another timeless text that cuts right to the issues of the day. Bible's open to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we begin with verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Christian Exodus, this is a group that was started a few years back. They are fed up with abortion and the treatment of the elderly and disabled. They are fed up with what they label as the imperialist entanglements abroad. They believe Christians are denied free speech, free press, and the display of religious monuments. They are sickened by homosexuality, pornography, and the widespread practice of divorce in this culture. They believe that Christian children are persecuted in the public schools and are forced into believing evolution. They also make the case that we are overtaxed and overregulated by our government. Most of us would agree with many of their complaints. But their solution is to reestablish a godly republic in the state of South Carolina. According to their own website, thousands of Christians have already joined them, with many of these people having already moved there, and with many more committing to moving there in the coming days. They have resources for helping Christians find jobs and places to live. Their plan is to start by moving Christians into one county at a time within the state of South Carolina. And once they get enough Christians into a county where they can vote Christians into office within the local positions, the county board, the school boards, the city council positions, the mayors, then they will move on to county after county to take over the entire state. They have already begun the process of moving Christians into a few counties, and once they take over the entire state, their plan is to work with the United States government to make the federal government allow them to rule their own state as a Christian state that follows God's principles. And if the government of the United States of America will not allow them to govern their state with less taxes, with less control from the feds, then they have every intent to have the state of South Carolina break off from the United States of America to become its own independent Christian nation. Keep in mind, thousands of people, thousands, who identify themselves as Christians, have already signed up, and many have already made the move. Let us be clear. I am fearful for our country. Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, none of these names inspire confidence that the United States of America is going to start heading in a direction that honors Christ anytime soon. I am a patriot. I love my country and the freedom it gives me to share Christ. But I also understand that my first allegiance is to the coming kingdom 
of Jesus Christ. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, and that is where my hope is found. The profound words before us speak directly to the issues that we face. Consider the group of 10 Baptist missionaries in Haiti just a few years back. After the devastating earthquake in 2010, they had the permission of the parents to take some of the children out of the country, but they did not have the permission of the government, and they ended up sitting in jail, charged with kidnapping. Good intentions. They even had the permission of the parents to take the children to safety in the United States. But without the permission of the government, they stood guilty of violating the teaching of Scripture, and it cost them. Pick up verse 13 again in your text. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Context always drives our understanding of Scripture, and this is where verses 11 and 12 come into play. Peter had told them, live your life like someone who is just passing through, someone who knows they belong to a better kingdom, to a better future. The lost are going to put you down. The lost are going to make false accusations against believers in Christ. Reflect Christ. Show his love. Persecution for the faith had shown up on the doorstep of the first century church. Peter did not tell the believers to protest, to take to the streets of the Roman Empire. He told them to submit. It wasn't about waging war with the culture. It wasn't about lodging complaints with the Roman government. Even though there is a time for that, Paul appealed to Caesar. But the instruction from Peter was about submission. That was how Christ was to be honored, by submission. Like it or not, friends, the role of Christians is submission. Submission to Christ, submission to the Word of God, submission to the government, even submission to your boss at work. For what reason, Peter tells us? Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Here it is. This is the key for the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves. This is something you must decide and carry out in your own faith. No one can do it for you. This is often thought of as bondage, something we must endure. I don't think that Peter had that in mind. Submission should be just a simple act of obedience to Jesus Christ. Make your way over to Matthew 22. This should be a familiar text for most. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees were plotting against the Lord. Pick it up with me, starting in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the persons of men. Follow the backstory. The Pharisees were the religious leaders who wanted nothing to do with Rome. They were insulted every time Rome stuck its nose into the affairs of the Jewish people. The Herodians were different. They actively supported the rule of Herod the Great and of his sons after his death. Herod was appointed by the Roman government to rule over the Jewish people. Polar opposites. Pharisees hated Rome. Herodians worked with Herod and his family. The Roman government did not give people the freedom to worship. If you were conquered by Rome, you worshiped the gods of Rome, which included the Roman emperor. But the Roman government learned a lesson from the Greeks. 
because the Greeks had tried to force the Jews to worship different gods, which had led to a revolt. The Roman government made an exception for the Jews. They were allowed to worship their God, but it would cost them money. They had to pay a tax for this, right? Picture in your mind the events transpiring in Matthew 22. The Pharisees loved Jewish tradition, but hated Rome. The Herodians supported the rule of the Herod family and had no problem with the tax. These two groups hated each other, but what they hated more was Jesus Christ. So they worked together to get rid of him. It's amazing how the lost will come together in their opposition to Christ. We see them in this text coming to Jesus, trying to flatter him with words. Notice what they ask in verse 17. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Nothing but a trap. If he answered that it was right to pay taxes to Caesar, the Pharisees and most of the Jews would have seen him as a traitor to the Jewish people. But if he answered and said, no, don't pay taxes, then the Herodians would have accused him of being an enemy of the state, a rebel who is standing up against Rome. Notice the response in verse 18. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. The denarius of this time was minted by Tiberius, the Roman emperor. One side of the coin had an image of his face. The other side of the coin pictured him sitting on his throne in robes that a priest would wear. Focus in on this next part. This is what I want you to see. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Understand the dynamics. The reign of the Herod family was violent. They were butchers of the Jewish people. Herod the Great even had some of his own sons and wives executed. The heavy taxation that the Jews had to pay was ridiculous. And listen, just like today, the Roman government was using tax money for things that were completely opposed to the will of God. The tax money went to build pagan temples and to fund wars where innocent people died. Jesus taught to pay the taxes. Luke 13 tells us that Jesus was told that Herod Antipas wanted him dead, but the response of Christ was to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The response of Christ was that the government does have a proper role, that the follower of Jesus Christ can both submit to the government of the land and submit to God all at the same time. The Western church is arrogant prideful, thinking that because we follow Christ, we need not follow the laws of the land. Jesus taught, render unto Caesar. Peter taught, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. There is nowhere in scripture where you see Christians told to revolt or promote anarchy. And as you head back to 1 Peter, let's consider again the historical context of the situation that Peter found himself in as he was writing this letter. In 54 AD, the Roman emperor Claudius was poisoned to death. His loving wife had made the arrangements for his death. Her son Nero took the throne. Nero was just 17 years old at the time when he was proclaimed emperor of the Roman Empire. His reign lasted for 14 years until he committed suicide at the age of 31. But young Nero was a madman. In 55 AD, Nero had his stepbrother, Britannicus, killed. 
In 59 AD, he had his own mother executed. In 62 AD, he had his first wife executed, and his close advisor was forced to commit suicide. Peter was writing from Rome in 64 AD, just a few months before the great persecution of the Christians broke out. Here's what happened. In July of 64 AD, a great fire broke out in the city of Rome. This fire broke out in the southern part of the city and spread for six days. But just when it was about to die out, it suddenly broke out again in the northern part of the city, and it burned for three more days. The city had 14 wards or districts, and 10 of them had been completely destroyed. 10 out of 14 districts were completely gone. The chaos, the destruction, and the loss of life is simply beyond our comprehension. Nero was a man that lusted for people to worship him and to draw attention to himself, and it's believed by many that Nero wanted to burn down the city and rebuild it for his own glory. As this became known to the people, they became outraged. Nero responded by blaming the Christians. Nero blamed the Christians for setting fire to Rome. The persecution of believers cost the lives of many. This persecution is what led to the death of Peter and of Paul. This persecution was still a few months off as Peter wrote this letter. But I do believe that Peter could see the storm clouds gathering on the horizon because over in chapter 4, in fact, flip over if you would to 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12, notice what Peter wrote. Beloved, do not think it is strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Skip down to verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Nero was not the only ruler of the day that Peter had known. Peter was probably just a boy in Galilee when he had heard that Herod the Great had killed all the male children that were aged two and under, which is told to us in Matthew chapter 2. Peter had known of Pilate, the governor in Judea, who washed his hands of the murder of Jesus. When Christ was turned over to be beaten and crucified, having committed no crime. Peter had known of Herod Antipas, who executed John the Baptist. According to Luke chapter 23, Herod mocked Jesus with his soldiers before his death. Peter knew. Peter had seen the corruption of men in government. Peter saw how human depravity can affect the nations. Peter did not live in a Christian nation. This is the world that Peter lived in. And this is the corruption that Peter saw, where Christians were murdered for their faith. And yet we see Peter write to submit ourselves to the ordinances of men. Peter instructed the first century Christians to honor the laws, honor the king, honor the governors of the land in the face of violent persecution, because the hope was to always share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make your way back to chapter 2. The storm clouds were gathering. Persecution was coming. False accusations against believers were beginning to spread, and Peter knew that they needed to demonstrate their obedience to the government whenever it did not violate the principles of the word of God. Heed the instruction, dear friends, because the storm clouds are gathering once again. 
In March of this year, the United States Attorney General announced at a Senate Judiciary hearing that the United States Department of Justice has been considering whether people should be prosecuted for the offense of climate change denial. They call us homophobes because we believe the Bible when it says that marriage was created by God and it is between a man and a woman. Aaron and Melissa Klein of Oregon found this out when asked to bake a wedding cake for a lesbian couple. They refused and were fined $135,000 by the Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industry. They tell us we have transgender bias if we say that God doesn't make mistakes when he creates a man or a woman. There are bills right now in California that seek to undermine the ability of Christian schools, colleges from being able to say no to lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students. They want to force their agenda on Christian schools. Canada has proposed that anti-transgender speech is hate speech. And if the Prime Minister of Canada has his way, this type of so-called hate speech will cost you two years in prison. Storm clouds are gathering. They mock us for our faith, telling us we have an invisible sky god, an imaginary friend in the sky. The lies against us are here and the persecution will come. It's time to stop playing church. It's time to make the hard decisions. Some of the largest Bible colleges and seminaries are making plans now for the day when tax-exempt status is no longer offered in the United States to churches and schools. Notice again this phrase in verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. One translation says, Submit yourselves to every human institution. That's the idea here. Because listen, the focus is on the position of leadership. In other words, submission is not about the person, but it is respect and honor for the position that these leaders hold. Nero was the man in charge in Rome. It doesn't get much worse. Submission does not depend on the man in office. It depends on our decision to obey Christ, to respect and honor the leadership of the nation. Submission is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength of the believer in Christ. Every ordinance of man, whether it is federal law, state laws, from the Supreme Court to the traffic court, from income taxes to tax write-offs and parking tickets. Peter testified our obedience to government should be for the Lord's sake meaning that our obedience to the government comes about out of our submission to Christ. It comes about because our hearts are intent that we would dare not bring upon the name of Jesus Christ dishonor or a poor testimony before the world. Now, it goes without saying that the only exception to obeying the laws of the government is found in the book of Acts. In chapters 4 and 5, Peter and the apostles were told to no longer teach in the name of Jesus Christ. And they answered by saying, we ought to obey God rather than men. Obedience to God first, and whenever possible, obey the government. Because if we become known for being a thorn in the side of the government, it gives them an excuse to take away our freedom. If we become known for rejecting the laws of the land, it makes it that much more difficult to share the gospel of Christ. The emperor in that day was the supreme leader of the land. To the Greeks, he was a king. Peter mentions this. Peter writes, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors. Governors appointed by the emperor over the different provinces, Pilate, Felix, Festus, to name a few. They represented the authority of the Roman Empire sent by the emperor himself to rule over the land. 
governors under the Roman system, were put into power by the emperor and given the responsibility of punishing criminals, keeping order, and rewarding those who live in peace. The restraint of evil is a primary function of government. It is a part of God's design for mankind. But what we have seen in this country, under the postmodern humanistic thinking, is a government that pushes perversion and an agenda that is opposed to the very principles of God's word. I fear God's judgment cannot be far behind. Take a look at verses 15 and 16. Peter turns it up a notch. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. Here comes the reasoning. Follow Peter's flow of thought. Submitting to the government, it is the will of God for us. If we honor Christ by submitting ourselves when we can to the leadership of our government, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. The wording for put to silence, meaning here literally to tie shut, to muzzle, like you would muzzle a wild dog that was gnashing with his teeth. This is stopping someone's mouth, leaving the person with nothing left to say. The enemies of the faith had their mouths open, but not their eyes, meaning that the best defense to the lies, to the slander that comes against Christians, it is not to rise up in pride and defend ourselves. The best defense is to live to honor Christ because it demonstrates their own ignorance before God and man. This is the status of those who are ignorant of God, ignorant of his word and ignorant of his redemption. Only fools have their minds closed to the word of God. Peter knew that the lost men and women were prideful, obstinate, and bullheaded to the gospel, causing them to lash out at the Christians. And part of the goal is that when Christians live in these difficult times in a manner that honors God, living in submission to the government, it shows people that they don't hate us. They hate Christ. Their war is not with us. It's with Christ. Mankind is at war with the Creator. Verse 16 further describes this. It's a beautiful verse, a description of the believer living in a way that silences the world. Notice the two words, as free. Peter was describing the spiritual status of all believers in Christ. Freedom in Christ has nothing to do with our political freedom. Freedom in Christ means we are no longer slaves to sin and that we are no longer under the bondage of the law. Romans 6 speaks to this. No need to turn, but just listen to the words of Paul in Romans 6. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, notice this is the past. This is our status before Christ. Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Listen to this next part. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Because of the work of Christ, sin no longer has the dominating power over our lives. The heavy weight of guilt for our sins is no longer upon us. Embrace the liberty you have in Christ. Paul put it this way in Galatians 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Because of the work of Christ, we have a relationship with God that is based on his grace and on his love. But this freedom does not take away from our responsibilities in this life. And this is why Peter writes, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. The word for cloak, it literally means a cover-up. And the idea here of hiding or concealing something, 
Christian freedom is not a license under the pretext of liberty to go ahead and sin. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 1, Peter had already told the church to lay aside the evil patterns of living and crave the word of God. Here's the principle. When the word of God does not speak to a specific issue, then we have the freedom to take the principles of God's word and choose the best path, the best choice that will bring about the most glory and honor to Christ. Our freedom is freedom to choose what is right. Christian freedom is not choosing to sin or choosing to ignore the instructions of God's word and claim freedom in Christ because Peter tells us we are bondservants of God. This is our relationship to God. The word for bondservant was used in the Greek and Roman world to describe the lowest level of slaves or servants. You know, it's such a strong word that it's led many to come to the conclusion that God forces us after we are saved to serve him and do his will. But the focus of this wording is, yes, this is who we are. We are bondservants of God who choose to submit to God as our rightful master. It's not about being a slave of God that is forced against your will, but about being a servant of God who willingly obeys his master. The Holy Spirit is constantly teaching us through the word of God the love that Jesus Christ has for us in our redemption. And therefore, out of our love for the Savior, Jesus Christ, we want to serve him. The focus of this passage rests on the truth that we should live to obey our master, finding true liberty as we follow his word and his plan for our lives. And if you understand the paradox that Peter is putting forth in this verse, we have freedom and liberty in Christ. And yet, at the same time, we are servants of God with the understanding that our liberty is not freedom to sin, but freedom to follow Jesus Christ. Verse 17, our last verse tells us, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. These are rapid fire statements that Peter gives us, and they're intended to further describe the actions that will silence the foolishness of men. First is a general statement, honor all people. Easy statement to say, difficult to do then and difficult to do now. The Roman Empire had 60 million slaves, not thought of as people, but property. Peter was teaching believers to honor, respect, and love the lost just as God himself loves. See these people as God sees them, as individuals that need Christ. Racial conflicts, social conflicts should all fall away within the church at this simple command. Israel was guilty of looking down on the lost. The church is guilty of looking down upon the lost. The lost do not need our condemnation. They need our love because our arrogance and our pride can close the door for the gospel of Christ. The wording for love the brotherhood, it literally reads the brotherhood keep on loving. I like that. The brotherhood keep on loving. Don't play favorites in the body of Christ and keep on showing love to all. Fear God. Again, it means God keep on fearing. Jesus taught in Matthew 10, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Respectful fear of God, a healthy understanding of God, keeps Christians from abusing the liberty we have in Christ. Peter closes with, honor the king. Show the leaders of government honor, even if we do not agree with them. 
You don't have to respect their actions, but you do need to honor them. Paul took it a step further in 1 Timothy 2, telling Timothy, pray for those in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Demonstrations and protests by believers will not lead people to Christ, but living a quiet life in peace certainly can. On the evening of April the 25th, 1958, a young Korean exchange student who was a leader among the young Christians at the University of Pennsylvania, this young man left his apartment and went to the corner to mail a letter to his parents who lived in South Korea. As he turned away from the mailbox, he stepped right into the path of 11 teenage boys that were wearing the typical leather jackets of their day. Without saying a word, they attacked him. They beat him with a lead pipe. They kicked him with their shoes. They hit him with their fists. When the police found him later, he was laying in the gutter, dead. The city of Philadelphia cried out for justice. The people wanted vengeance. The district attorney secured the legal authority to try the boys as adults so that those found guilty could be given the death penalty. And just as the anger of the people was at its peak, a letter arrived from South Korea that made everyone stop and think. It was signed by the parents and 20 other relatives of the boy that was murdered. Listen to the letter. Our family has met together, and we have decided to petition that the most generous treatment possible within the laws of your government be given to those who have committed this criminal action. In order to give evidence of our sincere hope contained in this petition, we have decided to save money to start a fund to be used for the religious, educational, vocational, and guidance of the boys when they are released. We have dared to express our hope with a spirit received from the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Love can conquer hate. This family lost their son, but they demonstrated no bitterness, no anger or hatred. They led no protest of our government or country. Looking to the Lord, their only hope was to share the gospel and to help these 11 young boys who were completely lost in the ways of the world. This is the impact of love, and this is why we need to set aside our anger, our pride, and our hatred, because the day is now upon us when bad things will happen to believers when they stand for Jesus Christ. How you respond, it determines your witness for Christ. Let me close by reading the words of the Apostle Paul to Titus in Titus chapter 3. Paul wrote, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul went on later in the chapter, to remind Titus that if it not be for God's grace and God's mercy, we too would still be dead in our sins and we too would be lost and ignorant of God. Love can conquer hate. Humility can conquer pride. And submission can be the catalyst for bringing people to Jesus Christ. And Peter knew better than most that true freedom is found when we obey Christ, living for him and living for the life that we have in him. May God grant us wisdom 
in the days ahead. Could you recommend a book on church history, the end times, the gospel, commentaries, or a book on how to study the Bible? We get asked this a lot, and so I thought it would be helpful to have an Amazon store with a list of books that have helped me in my faith. Actually, we opened two, one for Amazon Kindle and one for good old-fashioned hardcover and softcover books. We are adding books every week, and if you buy them through either one of our Amazon stores, we get a little bit to help us keep the lights on and pay the bills. Just visit our webpage, returntotheword.com, hit the Books tab, and under the menu, both our Amazon store and our Amazon Kindle store will show up. We appreciate your support. You can find out more on returntotheword.com. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word 